This is Take a Cue, Episode 6. I ended up um, being hospitalized because I, I was having trouble walking. My dad had to drive me to school. I was having trouble driving. I had a saint of a principal. He would help me up the stairs and sit me down in my chair. And I would sit there and teach my day. And then somebody would help me down the stairs back to my dad's car at the end of the day. Hello, and welcome to Take a Cue. I'm Jen Wise, 4th and 5th grade instrumental music teacher. And I'm Eric Dunno, 8th grade band and jazz band director. We are two veteran educators with over 35 years of experience teaching music in New Jersey public schools between the two of us. And we're excited to bring teaching experiences and insights to you. That's right. Whether you're just starting out in your teaching career or you've been teaching longer than we have, the show will help you grow with new ideas and perspectives about music education and teaching. We hope you'll be just as inspired as we are every time you tune in. Before we begin, if you enjoy our podcast, please help us out by doing a few super easy things. First, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Then make sure you rate the podcast and leave a review. It helps people find our show who haven't yet, and we really appreciate it. We sure do. Also, if you have questions or comments about anything you hear on the episode, come and interact with us on social media. We are Take a Cue Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So, Jen, today's show was a really personal experience that you shared with our listeners and and me, and I'm so grateful that we got a chance to do this. Um, I know it at times is not easy Mm -hmm. uh, to discuss chronic illness, and and I really appreciate you taking the time today. How did you feel about the show? I'm just, you know, honored that our listeners are, are interested. I live with multiple sclerosis and it's it, it's here every day, but I'm happy to give my my insight and my take on on how I make it work with my band, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um I, I think if you're somebody who is dealing with chronic illness yourself, you know somebody who is or you just have a heart, mm-hmm. today's <laughs> show I think uh is certainly going to be eye opening and uh we definitely recommend you you listen all the way through. After we were done recording, Jen decided that she had a few more things to add, so you might notice a little bit of a change in sound during this episode. So I think with that, we should dive in. Okay, let's do it. Today we're going to dive into a topic that you and I had discussed a little while ago when we first started talking about the podcast. And it was also suggested by a listener to our podcast as well. And I know today is a topic that has a certain amount of gravity, as you put it earlier when we were discussing. Mm -hmm. But I think it can be a really helpful topic for people who may be in a similar situation to yourself and also for people who work with people um, like you who you know, may be dealing with a chronic disease. Jen has multiple sclerosis and she teaches with it every day. And Jen has decided that it would be okay to talk about her experience and her journey in hopes that it might help other people. So Jen, why don't we first talk about how this affects your daily life now and then maybe we can sort of take a rewind after that and discuss your your journey. Yeah, that sounds that's I, I feel like that's a good way to, to go about it, because those of you who don't know me or don't 
uh, or haven't seen me, you know, out there in the world, don't really know my level of function and what what I'm up to right now. Um, and this is kind of a big anniversary. It's 15 years since my diagnosis. You know, I've been living with this and teaching with this since then. (laughs) And right now, the way my MS kind of affects my life the most is number one, fatigue. And everybody feels fatigue. (laughs) Everyone out there feels fatigue. But the way it hits me is is kind of a little different. It might take me a long, a little bit longer to bounce back than some other people. If I have a, uh, if I'm struggling with fatigue, and it happens after just like a stressful day. I'll have uh, a little bit of numbness in my feet, a uh, little bit of numbness in my my left hand, my gait. You'll start to notice I'll like stumble on things or have a little bit of drag foot. It's when you're, uh, or drop foot when you're, the front of your foot doesn't lift up all the way like you're telling it to and it just doesn't. <laughs> um, so so those things, you know, happen to me right now. Do you kind of anticipate that you're going to start feeling some symptoms when you know, okay, I've had this kind of day, I, I know I need to be ready for this? That would be so good if I could <laughs> anticipate that. I, I, I Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, yes. I can I can see a 90-degree day and say, oh, man, I'm going to have to be out in the sun for a while. This is going to hit me pretty hard. I'm going to need a little a little extra time to recover from, from that. Um, but sometimes it'll just be um, something as simple as um, at a red light and somebody leans on their horn behind me and everything goes numb. And I'm like, oh. Wow. Wow. That's, you know, so my, you know, my. So it can be really sudden. It kind of for me, like my triggers are to this day stress and heat. So when something like that happens, or, you know, if my, you know, son looks like he's about to roll off the couch and my whole body goes into that like defense mode. Yeah, my hands and feet will will kind of go numb and stay that way for a while. I might be feel a little extra run down at the end of the day. I might have a little bit of like kind of brain fog. Take me a while to find some words that I are normally easy to recall. But, um, you know, other than that, in my day to day, you wouldn't know. You really, you really wouldn't know that that's those are those things are are happening. But teaching, um, I mean, teaching, you know, if one of your triggers is stress, teaching mm-hmm. can be very stressful. And yeah. being a musician can certainly have mm-hmm. those moments of intense stress. Yeah. How does it affect you as as a musician? There's good stress and bad stress. And whether this is something universal or something that just I've trained my body to do over the years, um, good stress, being on stage at a concert performing, talking in front of my students, working with colleagues, um, problem solving. We've turned that, uh, I, we, I'm talking the royal we, um, I've turned that into, into good stress. Cycling, intense, like, you know, that's what I do for, for exercise. We'll, come, we'll circle back to that later. But, um, you know, cycling and pushing myself physically, I've turned that into good stress. Mm. Um, the bad stress I can't control. Those are the things that that'll affect me. We heard this on our on our Friday check-in uh, last month, uh, walking in and seeing my room full of equipment that was kind of stressful and out of out of my control. Okay, um, and and that was the kind of thing that just like it just like sapped me a little bit. It's like okay, now I've got to you know got to reconcile this and 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 move move forward i'll i'll come out with a few more as as we go but good stress and bad stress and like i said whether i've trained myself 
for this or if everybody feels this way about good stress and bad stress in their life, you know, some things affect me differently. Do you have different levels of reaction? Yes. Okay. Students in my class acting up. We've talked about this before, too. I'm playing a character to get my class back in line. That That's not getting me to my core anymore <laughs> after 15 years. Sure. My, my first couple of years, yeah, probably. The, um, I, I, I can remember one student in my very first band rehearsal, um, my sixth grade band, was literally crawling under the chairs. I look over. I, I go, oh, where is he? I'm not going to say his name because he's out there. He's a musician now, and <laughs> oh. he's <laughs> and he could be listening. Um, but we say, "Oh, where's where? Where is he?" Um, and then I see him stealthily moving underneath the chairs, and you know that that was stressful for me. That sure. one, that one, you know. Uh, but well, but, I mean, starting as, as a new teacher in your first few years mm-hmm. already is stressful. Yeah, for somebody who's not dealing with a chronic illness, right? And then to compound that, I'm sure that that really makes a difference yeah it really it really did but where i am you know now you you really wouldn't know uh day to day one of my colleagues who i work very closely with um our our spring concert happened to be on an 85 degree day in the gym Uh, it was a beautiful day but it was hot and she walked in my my small classroom. I had the lights very low. I was just like sitting on my desk. Nothing was moving. Nothing was going on. And she's like, "Is everything okay in here?" And I was like, "No, I just I just need this minute in the air conditioning <laughs> yeah. before we go and do our our in school concert." And normally, you know, she wouldn't see that. She sure. didn't. She doesn't. She didn't know until that moment that I had MS. I explained it to her. I'm kind of an open book with most of my colleagues, especially when I need to make little accommodations for myself. Sure. Um, and I remember, I think very early on when we met each other working mm-hmm. with the marching band yeah. at Livingston, I remember you had mentioned that, but you know, when I see you and we chat or mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're at a, a, a school function together or anything like that. I mean, I don't really think like, Oh, there's Jen. She has MS. Yeah. You know, it's, not, it's, not like, <laughs> yeah. it's not like something that you're aware of. No, yeah. no. And it's, and it's, it's not something that's in the front of my mind all the time, but it is, you know, it's always, it's always kind of, kind of there sure but i do make certain little accommodations for myself that just make everything a little easier sure. so so that's where i'm at right now i'm walking i have full use of both of my hands i play my flute i can you know home row type i <laughs> uh right now i'm putting a thought together even after a full day of school uh so that's where i'm at but there are some times that i'm not as as full my right class on. isn't as full sure. so do you want to rewind a bit here to um, kind of look at where you were? Sure, yeah. And, and like you were saying, like those first couple years of teaching were very stressful and then happened to be when I got diagnosed. Sure. So, so what was the first experience that you had where you went, something's not right? Yeah. So I was down in Florida teaching a color guard. I got uh, my my friend flew me down there to work with her band, and that's uh, terrible to have to go down to Florida. Oh, poor me! Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I had really never um, experienced intense heat like that. Mm. Um, so I may have had symptoms before this. I may have had little episodes before this, little signs that this was coming. But I spent an entire week doing band camp in in Florida. And as much as you take a break in the middle of the day, it is still hot. It is still more humid and it's the kind of sun if you haven't felt it that just cuts right to your bones that's the kind of heat that that really gets me and I spent a whole week out in there in it so you know I'm, I'm sitting there on my friend's living room floor and we're talking about the show talking about the next day's rehearsal and 
my legs were like tingly and numb and my lower back. And I was like, do you get this way when you fly sometimes? I thought it was the flight. You know, do your legs feel numb a little bit a couple days after? And she's like, no, no, that's weird. But, (laughs) you know, uh, and I flew home and I was still interviewing for jobs and just like, yeah, a little bit of lingering numbness after that. And I started my first couple weeks of school and the numbness got worse, turned into like pins and needles in my foot. I was starting to have some pain. So it wasn't um, something that, that came and went. It sort of came and then got worse. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I ended up having more symptoms as as it progressed. So by the end of September, I started to have, this is my, my first year teaching uh, elementary and middle school band. I started to have an optic neuritis, which is inflammation of your your optic nerve very it was very painful so it was like headaches all the time from that I had floaters kind of blocking some of my vision like little gray spots the numbness got worse it started to affect my gait walking around walking around school stairs were really starting to get to be a problem and my hands started to go this was from the end of August to the end of about four or five weeks by the second week of October of my first year I ended up um, being hospitalized because I, I was having trouble walking. My dad had to drive me to school. I was having trouble driving. I had a saint of a principal. He would help me up the stairs and sit me down in my chair. And I would sit there and teach my day. And then somebody would help me down the stairs back to my dad's car at the end of the day. Wow. Um, and it was it was getting really bad. So I finally got an appointment with uh, a neurologist. And he said, let's, let's get you back and functioning and then we'll figure out what's going on so a round of high dose steroids i was hospitalized for a week in october and it helped it's it snapped me back um and then we did rounds of mris vision field tests to see where the you know um spots were and when the mris came back it was it was pretty clear to me what was going to happen but my neurologist i he really he was a sweet man he really (laughs) uh he never actually said you have ms we're going to try this steroid treatment we're going to try this these beta serum injections and see if they clear things up for you and it did get better but my symptoms like i said were still lingering and coming back with stress and coming back like fiercely um what was going through your mind at that time specifically regarding like your your calling to be a teacher yeah so this was this was really tough because i had just started um i had the band was still pretty small like i had taken over a program that had been established but not what well, not necessarily like thriving right so i had um i had about like 50 55 beginners and like 20 or so in the the sixth grade band uh, and i just handed them an instrument and all of a sudden i had to take a week away so yeah, I, I felt And this was your first position. This was my first position yeah. first full time, you know, teaching position here in New Jersey. I started to feel like, oh my goodness, if I have to take all this time for myself, I'm doing such a disservice to these kids. Mm. Like that is that was very hev- weighing very heavily on me. I didn't feel like I had the option to take a medical leave. I had just gotten the job. <laughs> I'd sure. used up half of my sick time already. Um, of course, I had doctor's notes. Of course, you know, peop- I, I was in good communication with the school nurse and everything. I was really, really, really communicating with my um, principals and admin, and I was very open with what was going on. I did not expect everyone to just 
rally and take, you know, really help me. Mm. Um, my colleagues, same thing. They really just rallied and said, what can we do? What do you need? Google Classroom wasn't a thing. Um, this school was on like a home Wi-Fi connection. Like there wasn't, we barely had email. <laughs> you know, this is 2008. Um, it seems like you should have email. We probably should have had, you know, every family with functioning email, but that wasn't the case in this town. So I, I didn't feel like I had a great connection to my students or the community yet. And yeah, it was uh, a big conflict. I remember sitting at the kitchen table talking to my mom, you know, one day after school, just exhausted. Like I, I don't deserve to be doing this. I'm doing a disservice to these kids. So how long had you been out at that point? Uh, I was out one full week of school and maybe a day or two. Okay. I was trying to fit in, you know, all these appointments after school. And that was difficult because a lot of these doctors that you end up going to see when you have a chronic illness don't have patients who work. The the people I, I was dealing, you know, their hours were eight to four. I was like, well, I, I'm trying to hold a job here. I, mm. I need to see you at four. And uh, it was, you know, I, I was me, but 23-year-old me didn't really didn't really understand that. I just, I was just like, why isn't, why doesn't this work? You know, and then um, I feel like that is kind of a flaw in, in our healthcare system is that like, there are people out there that, that really, really, really want to feel better and be better and then end up having to take so much time away from themselves. And they're not ready to say, well, I can't, help the people around me if I'm not well right. <laughs> and they're not they're not able to take that time and they're not at a, a job that'll allow them to take that that time so did um, you feel that you were able to take the time you needed somewhat I I felt like most of my colleagues were supportive most of the administrators were supportive and there then there were a couple people around me that were just like what's up with this new girl <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and and I wasn't necessarily ready to come out and tell everybody that I interacted with that I was struggling with. This. So how did the kids react to you returning? It's funny. You start to really see in middle schoolers their personality and how they're going to get out there in the world and who they're going to be. So there were a few kids that I, I don't know if they just lived with someone that had a disability or it was just in their nature to be a healer or be a, you know, mover and shaker or something. But I had so many kids that if that, that just somehow realized that I was not as mobile as I as I needed to be. And if I needed something across the room, I would I would look at it and they would just stand up and go get it like mm. that. <laughs> you know, there were there were some amazing kids like that in my band that year. I just kind of said to them, hey, guys, I was out last week not feeling a hundred percent like myself, but let's roll, you know? And the, I, so I wasn't ready to tell them I had, I wasn't totally sure. Sure. You know? And that's um, very private yeah, personal sure. business, but you know, the kids see you away and then mm -hmm. they see you back and it's mm -hmm. nice to know that they were supportive and helpful. Yeah. 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 And, um, and kids are, are resilient as we are. And if you empower them to just move forward they're they'll, they will, they'll roll with you. Sure. I had a couple parents that, you know, saw things that were, you know, behind the scenes saw me getting worse and you know i said to my colleague should i have a cane 
Should I walk around? Like, should I be using a cane in school or should I just do what I'm doing, which was waiting until the bell was had rung and then leaving my classroom when the wall, halls weren't full or, mm. you know, and I just, you know, make sure I was close to a wall and I could move around without, you know, having a lot of kids around me. And he was like, you're 23 and you're thinking you should have a cane. Like, he's like, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, <laughs> you mm. know? And uh, um, yeah, so the kids are really resilient in that sense. How did it affect your teaching initially over those, you know, first months, couple years? And do you feel like it has changed the way that you you teach now or you've changed the way that you you've taught because of it since then? I allow myself like like I was saying before, certain little accommodations. I had an amazing physical therapist after this first like exacerbation and the onset of all my my symptoms. And uh, once once I started the injections, if you're not familiar with them, it's like three times a week. It's like every other day you inject yourself in your stomach or your leg with the drug and you end up for the next day having like flu-like symptoms and neck aches, but it it's, controls the disease a little bit um for me it didn't it didn't work i ended up relapsing pretty hard but um, after how much time by december january december january so it was only a few months later it was only a few months months later but in the meantime i was like stable enough to start some physical therapy to especially gain back my hands because i'm trying to teach beginners (laughs) uh with you need your hands yeah you got to model you got to demonstrate you have to hold up a trumpet i i mean it was that was it was really tricky so this physical therapist i was working with she was actually the physical therapist for les paul uh, after he had a major injury. Um, So she had worked with other musicians before, um, and she kind of understood how I needed uh, all that fine motor function back, and I needed it fast. (laughs) Um, She gave me all these suggestions about how to not waste energy on things that that don't uh, really matter. So um, for instance, at home, my dishes are all like Corel light. They're all that really light material. It, I don't have any like heavy stoneware as beautiful as that stuff is. Um, it's just, it's just not in my house because I don't use energy on, on lifting dishes and on an, in and out of the dishwasher. Um, over the years, my colleague Don and I kind of did a lot of fundraising and a lot of outreach to get um, wanger chairs that are easier to stack rather than me having to use like folding chairs and bend over and set them up and break them down. Um, you know, things like chair and stand racks um, were just made things so much easier for me. And those like uh, wanger light um, plastic music stands rather than the heavy Manhasset ones made a huge difference. I also like made sure to have an instrument uh, in each of my schools. So I wasn't like lugging a saxophone and a flute and a clarinet back and forth um, between each building. Cause that was just like energy that all of a sudden I was like, Oh, I really don't need to be doing, doing all this lugging. I should find a way around that. I should find a way to just put my energy into the things that matter, like teaching. Did you find that you had to learn to ask for help more? Uh, not or were you already good at it? I no, no, I was not good. That that t- that was one of the things that took the longest was ah. asking for asking for help because until I saw some of these like bands that have like a village of teachers. I mean, it was it was me and and my colleague Don out in in Ringwood working with 
fifth through eighth grade band, just the two of us, until I really started to see more programs with like a, vill- yeah, a village of band directors, I didn't realize how much help my band really needed. And that's when I started bringing in clinicians or and Don and I started doing a lot of team teaching. So I didn't have to be on the podium for 40 minutes at a time or we started splitting up our lesson groups. So, you know, it was more manageable. So it really did affect the way that your program was structured kind of sort of not just your own personal Mm -hmm. teaching yeah Hmm. definitely a lot of us are in the situation where we don't always have a room and we don't always have uh, a rehearsal space and i know the person before me didn't need help setting up you know 120 chairs for rehearsal every week because we had to rehearse in the gym we were too big to fit anywhere else in the school Um, he might not have needed that help but i uh, i did and it was it was a little bit of like push and shove you know to get some help from you know the custodians and and everything and it was like i really need i really do need this help i'm not going to be able to do it sure and we figured out what worked you know if i had the kids fold up the chairs and put them around the sides of the gym he would put them away at the end of the night or as he could because my my rehearsals after school were like an hour and 10 minutes i had with the kids after a full day plus setting up for that rehearsal and um, that hour and 10 minute rehearsal, I, there was no way I could break down all those chairs and get home, <laughs> you know, so. I know you as somebody who's very comfortable, like mm-hmm. saying what you need. Yeah. Do you think that this sort of brought that out of you? Um, I think I got better at it. There was, you know what, I was always fairly comfortable with it. But there were times when I just didn't know that I needed the help. Mm. And that's when I got in the most trouble. For instance, I was teaching Color Guard. I think it was the season, like, I don't know, 2012, 2013. And I was going through another one of these, like, oh, yeah, it was it was 2013 or 14. Um, 13. I was going through a, a pretty heavy relapse. Some of the medication I was on, um, I've been through five. I'm on my sixth medication it wasn't working it was a hot summer all of a sudden i found myself needing the high dose steroids again right before school started right in the middle of band camp and and everything and there i am at marching band rehearsal with a an iv in like just like a a line in my in my arm teching color guard from the sideline i had a nurse coming to my house to check the, my vitals and make sure the line was okay. They left me with, um, yeah, a gram of steroids a day to hook up and kind of zap me back into, you know, my my function. This came about because, again, in August, I went to Key West with some friends and we had a great time and I biked all around. But by the time I flew back home, I knew I was I was kind of in trouble. Um, I started to have some numbness in my hands, and I started you know the first couple days of school with some some numbness. And I actually said to the uh, union president, like, "Can you can I talk to you about maybe taking a medical leave? What do I need to do? What's you know what can I do here?" And she like kind of laughed at me, <laughs> and she you know she was like, "We're standing here talking, like what." What could you possibly need um, to take a medical leave for? My, you know, defiant side kind of came. I was like, no, you're not going to help me. Well, I'll figure this out. And that's how I ended up uh, with an IV in my arm in the middle of marching band. But you're also a very caring, giving teacher. And I know that about you Mm -hmm. and that you're not the kind of person to just kind of bow out 
Even if you may need to. Yeah. I, I know that about you. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. And that I, I definitely kind of, I, I probably needed to at that point, you I, know, I, and I, I just, I it's just. It's funny because you, you have a great balance between mm-hmm. there are times when I know you'll advocate for yourself and mm-hmm. say, you know, like, this is too much. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be able to do that. But yeah. I also know you're also a very giving person who, who will go beyond your limitations. Yeah because you care that much about your students. That's really very true. And, you know, this this was not that long ago. This was probably six or seven years ago. And I I still pushed, I pushed myself, you know, too too far with, sure. with that one. Um, the, yeah, the medications I was on weren't working. That's when I have found my, the neurologist I have now, and she's amazing. She said, we're going to, we're going to fight for you. We're going to make sure you can get all the function that you that you have or that you that you need so um and she's holding true to that that was one of those moments that i was like oh i'm pushing this too far but i'm not going to do anything about it and don't i didn't feel like i had a ton of support to do anything else so are there times throughout the last 15 years when you felt like you know what i may have to look for another career i yeah i have thought about that a lot it was kind of a goal for me to be able to play my flute well again. And, you know, I finally was able to do that. And I auditioned for Ridgewood Concert Band, now New Jersey Wind Symphony. I just, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do that. But I made accommodations for myself. I play an inline flute, guys. I play an inline flute. And I can't, I can't feel the last two fingers on my left hand most of the time. Uh, <laughs> so I plugged wow. it, I plugged up my last hole. I yeah, and it doesn't. You know, my my G and A are a little wonky. Like they don't sound like I want them to sound. But I I I made that that change for myself and allowed me to do this other thing. I sh- I should be working part time. I feel like I would maybe have a little more left for later if I was able to work part time. Mm. But I don't think like in, at least in this state and. In public education here, I don't, I don't think I'd be able to sustain the healthcare I have here, or the retirement I want, or the life we want for our family if I'm not working full time. So, do you feel here in Livingston like you have some of the support that you need? How have things been going here? You know, they've been going really well. I do feel like I have I have the support. I've been very open with my supervisor about uh, you know, my health in the last couple of years, but the the funny thing is since I've been teaching here, this is year 5 here in Livingston, I've been very stable. So it hasn't come up a whole lot. I mean, you know? it's a, it's a good place, it's, right? It's a great place to be. Yeah. Um and uh and yeah, it hasn't come up to the point where I have to um ask for a whole lot to accommodate me. However, something that we did do recently at all the elementary schools was purchase those wanger chairs and chair racks and those light music stands like I was talking about before. Um, And that's just made a huge difference in the last year or so for me because like um, I mentioned in our previous episode that I'm I'm still teaching in the gym uh, because of COVID. They wanted us to socially distance and everything. So, um, you know, having to set up and break down a couple times a day and using that equipment rather than like folding chairs and the heavy um, Manhasset stands like that. It's been uh, a 
a big deal for me, a big energy saver. Um, and that was one of those things that I knew it would benefit everybody in the district if we invested in that, but um, that I was kind of quietly <laughs> uh, making that that work for me. And, and you know, our, my supervisor and our, our building administrators really ran with it and, and made like big capital budget pur purchases in the last couple of years to make that happen. Sure. Um, the treatment I'm on right now, it's actually prescribed for people with RA. Rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis. Okay. Yep. Are they uh, related? They're both autoimmune. And it's the what I'm on now, before before I was on immunomodulators, they basically told my immune system, don't attack the myelin, don't attack, you know, um, the 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 cells that that Jen needs. Um, <laughs> so, but what uh, but what I'm on now is just a an, it's an immunosuppressant. Sure. So um, I have a compromised immune system. The last couple of years have been very scary with with COVID and everything. Because of that, I had a couple rough bouts with COVID. But the drug I'm on now, I have no B cells. So uh, it just wipes them out. I do it twice a year, and I have to take a full day to go into the city to do it. I end up taking a whole day away from school, I can usually plan it for a day that I feel like kind of comfortable taking, maybe not my first year kids those those days, maybe it's my second year days, but I can usually plan it so that it doesn't impact uh, my students. But I have to I have to take a whole day into the city a couple times a year. So gotcha. well, yeah. it's good to know that that you've been feeling relatively strong mm -hmm. since you've been yeah. here at Livingston, which yeah. is good. That's mm -hmm. a good thing. Yeah, it's really good. W what kind of support system? I'm trying to think of this from a from the perspective of somebody else who might be in a similar situation mm -hmm. where, where they're teaching um, with MS. Do you have a support group of teachers or other educational professionals who are going through similar you know, situations? I mean, when I first got diagnosed, my good friend's mom had MS. She had lived with it for since she was well, the age that I got diagnosed at since she was 23. Um, and she was in her 50s when I got diagnosed. So I had her to talk to. She did a different route. She never tried any of the, the MS specific treatments and everything. Sure. She she was in a few studies, um, but she, she, she took a different turn. She was a nurse, decided to stay home, raise her kids, control her environment a little more and um, her diet and her exercise level. And um, so she she changed her lifestyle. And since I was starting my career, I kind of chose the path of, okay, let's manage this with medication and, you know, change my diet and a few things about my lifestyle and physical therapy. So it was really good to have her because I got to, she, she's, you know, functioning very, very well. She had a lot of success and she was really, she, she really helped me just see, see how she lived her life to, to, to help manage it and keep her stress level very, you know, low and her energy up. And it seems like having that support mm -hmm. was really useful yeah. in getting you through probably one of the harder times, I would assume. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so we, we talked a, a lot. My mom has autoimmune diseases as well. Um, her father had MS. So my, my grandfather, um, he also had diabetes and, um, back in the eighties, they really just had like vitamin B12 injections and that was it and sent you home, um, to, to, you know, kind of live with it. And so when I got diagnosed, it was, it was, you know, pretty traumatic, um, for, for a lot of the family, but, uh, they were right in there with me, helping me figure this out and supporting me and um, 
cooking me food. And I was so lucky to be living at home that first year and to have their support. My husband and I were dating, but he had taken a full-time job in Connecticut. We taught three full school years separately before, you know, he proposed and we moved in together and he moved down here to New Jersey. So, you know, I had his support from afar and on weekends and, um, and that was, that was really great. It wasn't until like around that second relapse I was talking about in, in December, January, that I found my chiropractor, Andy Witt, his practice is called the Network Center for Healing and Wellness. He does network care and he's amazing. And uh, Do you still see him now? I do. Hmm. Yep, I, I do. And he really helped me find energy, like energy from just kind of my life force, like the energy that I put out in the world. Yeah, really like just help me find that with within myself. So he's not like a bone cracker chiropractor. Um, and maybe he'll weigh in on, on social media and everything on, on this and kind of post post you some links for you all to hit information about what he does. But um, yeah, he really he really helped me kind of just acknowledge some of the things I was dealing with physically, in a way that made me feel empowered to move through them. Something that my husband said after I had been going to um, work with Dr. Witt um, for so many years, he said, he's, he's convinced you you're not sick. He's convinced you you're not sick. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not sick. It was, <laughs> it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, yeah, I don't feel that I'm living a life um, where I'm in a constant state of illness. Like, I live a life that is rich in energy. It's rich in um, experience. It's rich in in um, just yeah the energy of for myself and the people around me. Um, it took us a long time to decide we were ready to have kids, and a big part of that was I wasn't ready to trust my health. And um, through you know getting to know my body being aware of my, you know, all the strength and energy that I do have through, through working with, with Dr. Witt. Um, my, my husband's like, yeah, he can, he can convince you you're not sick. He can convince you that we can, you know, have a baby and support a family. And, you know, um, and, uh, it took a while. Um, my husband and I are married 10 years and my son is too. So yeah, it took, it took a while for us to, to get there. And, um, but now that we're here, it's, it's just the most amazing thing. I guess, what we really kind of work on there is suffering and pain is something that allows you to, to learn about yourself and to learn about the human condition and to really learn about the, the people around you. At 23, you know yourself, you know who you are, you kind of sort of know your trajectory, but on, when you when you're when you're living pain and you're living suffering, you learn a whole lot more. And and just kind of accepting that and and just that the awareness of the physical stuff and the awareness of of how that's you know just changing your perspective of yourself and the world. Like I know I'm like getting a little like woo woo on you here, <laughs> but but no, that's a that's a that was a, a big turning point for me because um, I think you're I don't. Think it's woo. I think it's your mindset. It is, and everybody yeah. you know feels differently and mm -hmm. has their own ways that they get through things. But mm -hmm. this is what is important for you. Yeah, it really, you know, it it really is. 
knowing how I deal with suffering and, and pain has let me really understand the people around me better, whether it's my students or my colleagues or, you know, someone cursing at the copier in the teacher's room. <laughs> like yeah. I, I can, I can knowing, knowing how I can move through this stuff, like really just helps me relate to everybody else a little better. Another question um, I was going to ask on the list along this same line mm-hmm. is, do you feel like it lets you view your students differently? Maybe. I mean, I I always felt like efficiency was really pretty important to teaching. But now if things aren't efficient, if my classroom isn't set up in a way that's uh, efficient, it's like my physical therapist would talk about, you know, wasting energy, spending energy on things that weren't important. I feel like I do look at it in terms of like physical energy and mental energy and things that just we just don't need extraneous things that we just sure. don't need to spend spend time on. Sure. I feel like that serves my students really well. And I feel like as a musician, when I present myself to my students as someone who perseveres, I think that serves them pretty well. Now, let's fast forward. Yes. Um, so right now, there may be people out there who know you and don't don't know about this part of your life. And from a more broad standpoint, somebody who may be going through a similar situation, what would you say that you need from others? What, what would you need them to know? What would you need them to do knowing this about you? I think I would just... Take your time. I had such good people in Ringwood. Like, I really did. Like, I really had such so much support. And, like, I would not have come out of this if it wasn't for, like, their support. So I want to say something that says, like, just, um, doesn't matter if you're, like, supporting me. Just, like, listen to people that are struggling. But I don't know how to say it. I think you just did. Oh, I would say just listen to people around you that are suffering, like really listen to them because um, they're probably saying something that they're not being explicit about. They're probably asking you for something that that might not be there on the on the surface. It reminds me of that quote. I'm sorry to jump in no, and interrupt, but it reminds yeah. me of that quote that like everybody you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Right. And that uh, that's so true. And, you know, for MS, it really is such an invisible disease. Like I don't wear a, you know, big sandwich board that says I have MS. Like <laughs> I need to watch my step, you know, but, but I do. And I take my time on stairs and I, I, I do need the air conditioning working in my classroom and I do need, <laughs> you know, like, so yeah. I'd say just really, really listen to the people around you that are, that are suffering. And what I want you to know about me personally is that, that I like do need you even when I say I don't, <laughs> you know, uh, I really do. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying just like, you know, push yourself in, you know, on, on people, but just help be that student that just gets up and crosses the room and picks something up for, for, mm. for that person that, you know, can't, can't do it. Just, just, just reach out and do it. Yeah. Well, Jen, I know this is not the easiest episode to record, mm-hmm. but I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to our listeners about your very personal story and journey. 
And I can only imagine that somebody listening to this who might be going through a, a similar diagnosis, this could really be such a helpful story to hear. And it's also, I think, really important for people that aren't going through the same kind of experience as you to also hear and to understand, again, that somebody could be going through something that you know really nothing about. Thank you, Eric, for asking these questions and for supporting me and in, in telling my story. Um, this really means a lot that we're doing this here. Uh, I also need to say thank you all the people that have just stepped up and acted when I needed you and um, like my family. I know I drive you all nuts. Um, my husband, Tom, I love you very much. Um, Meg Balter, <laughs> my colleagues from my first job in Ringwood, um, Don Van Tynes, Eileen Specia, Lisa Fritzke, Tim Johnson, um, Andy Witt, my neurologist at Mount Sinai, um, Michelle Fabian, um, the New Jersey MS Society and all the amazing people I've met on the um, MS bike rides over the years. And um, of course, my administrators and colleagues in, in Livingston, thank you um, for, for supporting me and for continuing <laughs> to do that. Um, it means the world to me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I know, yeah, I'm here. So if any anybody out there wants to chat, uh, wants to just talk through what they're going through, talk about the nitty gritty, more of the little accommodations that I do for myself or how to approach this with your administrators and your supervisors and your colleagues. Like I'm, I'm out there. I can help you with the words um, that, you know, they're never going to be perfect. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, I, I, you know, I can, I can help you with that. So reach out, find us on, on social media. I'm, I'm here to answer your questions. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening today. And we hope you got a lot out of the episode today. I know I did. Okay. So thanks, Jen. All right. Thanks, Eric.